You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hi, everybody. This is Dirk Novell. Uh, welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Steve Kelly. Steve, thanks for having are coming aboard. My pleasure. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Yeah, I, I've actually my last podcast was Dave Hoffman, who was a hero of mine in college. I played football, loved watching him, and now I have you. And I mentioned to you before I hit record is Steve is a sports writer. He's been writing for over thirty years. You can get specific on that. Uh, with the Seattle times. Um, I have family that works there and Steve was actually a big part of my life because every day I pick up the paper, I still do. I go right to the sports section and, um, Steve's face was always there. I mean, you name it, Sonics, Mariners, Seahawks, all of the above. Steve was a big part of educating me and updating me on the world of sports in the Northwest. So appreciate it, Steve. Um, well, thank you very much. Those pictures were much, uh, I was much younger in those pictures. Yeah, it happens. We all age. Um, <laughs> why don't you talk to us in your own words a little bit about people are tuning in. They see probably a title like sports writer or whatever we want to put. Talk to us a little bit about your career and then kind of how you got into it. Well, I, I'm lucky because I think once I found out that I wasn't going to make the NBA, um, I wanted to be a sports writer. And I was probably 11 years old, I think, when when it, the bug first hit me. Um, my dad made me read the Philadelphia papers. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. And my dad made me read the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Philadelphia Daily News, uh, the Wilmington News Journal. A lot of great writers coming out of that area of the country. And so I started reading, really, when I was 10, 11 years old, and kind of idolizing some of the Philadelphia Wilmington sports writers. And um, that's so that's when the the, the germ kind of hit me. Um, I'll, I'll, there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, first time I went to Connie Mack Stadium, night game, and I, I look on the field, and the field's beautiful, it's green and the lights, it was just really romantic. But then I looked up in the press box and here's these guys with their lights on and they're and hunkered over the, their typewriters at the time. And I just thought, man, that looks so cool. And they get to go to every Phillies game and um, they know the players and they talk with the players and that's great. So that was my first thing. And then short, shortly after that, 1960, my father took me to the World Series in New York. I had a great dad when it comes to sports. Yeah. And uh, on the way home, we stopped in Philadelphia at the 30th Street Station. And if, at the time, if you could look out your window of the train, you could see Franklin Field where the Philadelphia Eagles played. It was a Sunday night. The Eagles had just played. And again, I looked in the stadium and the only lights on were the lights in the press box. And those guys were telling all of Philadelphia and all of Delaware Valley about the Eagles game that day. And I thought, man, that is, first of all, I thought that's powerful, you know, to be able to do that. And um, from then on, I mean, I, I wrote to sports writers and, and uh, asked them for advice. Uh, I met them uh, whenever I could. Uh, I used to, <laughs> some people hung out after a, a Phillies game by the, the door where the players came in. 
I, uh, I hung out where the writers came in and I was a pain in the neck, uh, but they were really nice to me. So I'm really lucky that I wanted to do this at an early age. I took a few detours on the way, but um, I haven't wanted to do anything else. I love that. Uh, I got to ask you, I didn't even think of this. Well, I didn't know. So are you still a Phillies fan? Well, yeah, I'm a little angry this morning because they just lost to uh, <laughs> they lost Arizona, for crying out loud, and after having a 2-0 lead uh, and their bats just disappeared. So, you know, like a typical Phillies fan, I'm uh, a little down on the team right now, but I'll bounce back. Yeah, I just thought of the bad timing for me to have you on this morning. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, when they went up 2-1, I thought they were going to get their mojo. And then that Carroll kid who's local, as you know, Lakeside High School, I think he was three for four. But, yeah, I, I did not see Texas and Arizona uh, in my crystal ball. So that that was an interesting um, matchup or will be an interesting matchup. I think but it'll I, be an interesting I just wonder if the what, what the ratings are going to be like. Uh, I don't think it's going to capture the imagination of the country. I agree. I'm just glad the Astros aren't in it. And uh, but hey, you've got the Eagles. I think you got a good chance of a little redemption this year um, <laughs> in the NFL. I think those guys have a good chance of winning it all. But um, so at 11, roughly, like like your family, your your father. You mentioned he was a big sports guy. Did you feel supported? Or was it scripted out like what you were going to do or the, what they wanted you to do? Or did you just kind of at a young age have a feeling like this is what I want to do in my life? Yeah. Well, like I said, my father made me read the paper every day and it became part of my my daily routine. And it really, you know, it didn't take him long to stop making me read it and just having me, where's the paper? Let me grab it. Um, so I think that was a, that was a, they just wanted me to be happy. They never pushed me into it. My father's always had a great respect for writers of every kind. Um, he was involved in sports in, in Wilmington, Delaware. And so he knew all the sports writers from the Wilmington News Journal. He introduced me to all of them. They were great with me. They let me sit uh, by them at some games. Um, and like I say, I just peppered them with questions. And um, I'm sure I was annoying from time to time, but... Um, I loved it. And, you know, my my parents could see that, that, that sports were going to be, be a big part of my life. My mom always said, I always know what season it is because you're either swinging a bat or shooting a hoop or, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> tackling somebody in the living room. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they were they were supportive. They never pushed me anywhere, but they kind of knew where I was headed. Was your was the passion sports before writing or was it sports and then you just fell into uh, a career that allowed you to be around sports or did you love writing at a young age? I think they dovetailed. Um, I know I started writing. Well, I'll tell you, I got an F in, in typing and uh, I think it was 10th grade because I wrote, uh, instead of doing the lessons, I wrote stories about our basketball team. I was on the basketball team and I wrote these um, hilarious <laughs> stories about our team. And uh, the teacher didn't like it, but I think it really helped my writing. I love it. Do you have don't, just I, don't don't do that at home, kids? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Uh, do you have? I mean, I got to ask. I just kind of popped in my head. Um, do you have a favorite sports movie? I, I, you know, I'm not big on sports movies. I, if I had one, it would be um, Brian's song with Brian Piccolo and, and Gail Sayers. 
Yeah, um, for sure. Powerful movie. Um, and, you know, I liked uh, The Natural, and I liked um, the one with Kevin Costner and and uh, Susan Sarandon. I can't think of the name right at the moment, but well, oh, that one was good. But Kevin and Field of Dreams was also pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. You know, when you were talking about when you were younger and the vision of a writer and it looked fun right away, I went to the natural and I don't know if you remember the character, I think it was Robert Duvall who played the the writer who knew Robert Redford looked familiar and couldn't figure it out and tried uh-huh. to figure out who this old guy was that was just killing it. Um, but I kind of <laughs> had a vision when you were talking about that. Okay. So fast forward, you're going through high school. And by the way, uh, were you, uh, were you a pretty good athlete? Were you thinking that maybe you would go play in college or something? Um, what well, we uh, we won a state championship in basketball. Um, this is Delaware now; it's not uh, New York. But we won the state championship. I was a pretty decent basketball player. Um, I was invited to walk on. Back then, freshmen weren't weren't eligible for uh, varsity, so I was invited to walk on to the University of South Carolina's basketball team. They were in the ACC then, and I always loved watching the ACC on TV. Um, I was pretty sure I was not gonna play in the ACC, but I went to South Carolina for a year. I walked on and walked off because uh, it was pretty obvious early that I wasn't gonna make the team. And I didn't wanna wanna be uh, practice fodder for the rest of the team. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, I told you before we hit record that sometimes I don't know where we're going, but yesterday uh, uh, somebody posted a photo of John Olerud and I played baseball with John in All-Stars. He was a couple years older than me, but I I played with him at the end of the year. And I remember at a younger age, you know, we all kind of thought we were pretty good athletes or players. And then when you play with somebody like John, and I'm sure people experience this, it's just, you realize there's a level and it's not always, you know, the biggest, fastest, strongest. It's also maybe a mindset or a work ethic or whatever. But when you talked about going, is it the Gamecocks? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's and my dad, who got a scholarship to play quarterback at Florida State, I uh, was roommates with Burt Reynolds, and he thought oh, he was, geez. yeah, he thought <laughs> he was pretty good and uh, got there. And uh, so he went from quarterback to fullback because he was a big guy. And then fullback to lineman, offensive, and then they, they nicknamed him slow motion because um, he was too slow. <laughs> but I remember him telling stories about just the uh, um, awareness of the the different level of talent. But, you know, it – and so I guess were you – so you found sports. Did you always, through your experience of different athletes, were you enamored uh, intrigued? Did you felt intimidated? I mean, you, I, we could probably go through a list of some of the, the legends of the Northwest, but how was that for you? W- you know, w- was it a, uh, I don't know, was it, was it intimidation? Were you really comfortable with these athletes? I became very comfortable. As a matter of fact, some of them are still good friends of mine. Uh, and some of them are good enemies of mine. I mean, you know, it depended <laughs> on who I wrote about and what I wrote about them. But, um, uh, talk about intimidation. I, when I was working at the York Dispatch in New York, Pennsylvania, my first job, um, I went to this, uh, I had went to a, a, a dinner, and before the dinner, I got to interview Willie Stargell, Doc Ellis, and Gene Kleins, who were members of uh, very good Pittsburgh Pirate teams. And it's, it, the first, they were the first major leaguers I had ever interviewed, and I was scared to death. And to make matters worse, 
Doc Ellis was on my case. Oh, he, he, he turns to Willie Stargell and he says, look at this guy. His face is red. He's nervous. He can't even talk. And, uh, and at, at the end, he said to me, you're not a sports writer. You don't even smoke cigars. <laughs> so, you know, Doc Ellis, a veteran of, of uh, getting interviewed, I thought maybe I better start smoking cigars. Did but you? I didn't. Oh, I came okay. to my senses very quickly. <laughs> um, no, I just, you know, I, I did an internship with the Sonics when I was in college. And I just remember just being around guys like, you know, Gary and Ricky Pierce. And I, it, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people that get intimidated by that, but I would assume in your role, um, I guess I, I usually get in these questions later on, like what are some of the harder things about being a sports writer that people that are watching may not know, but what if you had, and, and I know Frank deals with this, but you have to publish the truth. You have to write stories based on your belief systems. And sometimes those comments and, and beliefs might trigger the athlete. What was, what was that process like? Did you have to kind of like, did you ever check yourself or were you of like, listen, I've got to write it because this is how I feel? Well, um, again, I think growing up and reading all the great writers from Philadelphia who were tough, tough reporters, tough columnists. I kind of learned how I'm supposed to do it. Um, for me, and athletes, you have to earn their trust, obviously, and their, their respect. And I did, um, because I showed up all the time. If I criticized somebody, I came in the next day to let them, if they wanted to vent at me, I figured that's part of the job. Um, I like being liked. So it was hard. Um, I remember after a Seahawks game one time, Kurt Warner and I, for some reason, Kurt didn't like me. And um, he, he, had, uh, he had had a, he was at the end of his career and his knees were bothering him and he just wasn't who he was before. And I had written something, you know, not ripping him, but just saying, you know, he's, he's on the backside of his career. Well, this particular Monday night game, he had, I think his last 100 yard rushing game. And I walk in and all I can hear in the locker room after the game is, where's Steve Kelly? Where's Steve Kelly? Where's Steve Kelly? Um, I want to talk to his butt. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, here I am. Uh, I said, I don't. And then he says, I don't want to talk to your butt. And I said, well, what about my face? So if you give it back to him a little bit um, and the other guys see it, they're thinking, okay, this guy's okay. Yeah. I mean, I would assume a lot of these, I'm not assuming, but some are entitled. Some probably have never had criticism in their face. And I assume it's got to be a difficult part of your job, especially if you have a, a friendship with one of them, but you feel like the story needs to be told. Um, you know, you, so I'm 53, I'm, I'm younger than you. So when I started experiencing your writing, you had probably been in the business for a while. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about the reality of getting into to writing, whether it's sports writing or writing about anything in a newspaper, kind of like paying your dues. Like maybe you could speak to kind of the different things you wrote about, or did you get pushed right into sports writing from day one? I tried to, I tried as much as I could to write about as many different things as I could. Uh, you know, whether it was term papers, whether it was a, uh, uh, fourth grade personal narrative. Um, I teach fourth grade writing now in the school district, Seattle School District, just as a volunteer. 
And I, I, you know, you can sort of point, you can find the best writers in that group really quickly because they're writing whether you ask them to or not. And that's kind of how I was. Um, but for me, I never thought I was a very good writer. So I felt like I had to outwork everybody or at least work as hard as I possibly could to get information that would make my stories interesting. Um, way more than thinking, well, I can just, you know, sit down, um, scratch my head and write a great, beautiful column. I know there's a lot of guys who can do that. But um, for me, it was always work, um, work related, but, you know, the kind of work that can give you a lot of pleasure and a lot of self-satisfaction if you do it right. So for me, it was, you know, learning the sports, learning the athletes, learning the, the, the coaches, learning the general managers, getting to know them, letting them know that, hey, I'm here, I'm here every day. Um, and that gave me more confidence as a writer too, for some reason, I think I wrote better with the mo more information I could get. And, um, you know, a lot of guys would, would say, uh, um, hey, that was a really good story today. They might, they might whisper it to me because they don't want the other athletes to hear me. But I also had guys that, you know, told me it was load of garbage sometimes. But for me, it was more um, work, work, work. So, but it's the kind of work I wanted. Yeah, no, I get it. What makes, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question. So you, you've seen a lot of writers, especially at the times, whether it's sports or politics or whatever. Um, my assumption is, okay, you want to be a writer, then you need to be, you know, punk, you need a sentence structure, you need to be a good vocabulary, all those little things. But what would you say are like the three or four things that made you good at what you did? And I, and I'm guessing that maybe it might be surprising. Maybe it has nothing to do with your ability to write and put together words and sentences. It might be more, I don't know, your ability to earn trust, uh, to, I don't know, you tell me, what are the two or three things that you think people, when they describe Steve Kelly, what would you say they would say about you? Well, again, it depends on who you're asking. <laughs> the, the, the people that like you, the people that your friends. Well, um, I, I think it was the fact that I was honest and I wasn't afraid. Uh, I never wrote, and I, I should tell you a quick story. My, my guru, my mentor, guy I loved most in this business, I met when I was covering the Portland Trailblazers uh, for the Portland Oregonian. And my my mentor was David Halberstam, who's the great Pulitzer Prize winning writer. He came to Portland to write a book on the Trailblazers. And David and I spent two years together. And number one, watching David do work, David was the most fearless. I mean, he'd been kicked out of the Kennedy White House for the stuff he had written. So, you know, if the general manager of the Trailblazers was mad at me, um, there's no equivalency for me on that. But I just, I, so I learned a lot about being tough from David and he would always tell me, you don't write for what, don't ever listen to the readers when you're writing, you write what you believe and you write what's important to you and they'll understand that and you'll be good. When you start writing, a lot of people, and, and I was like that at the beginning, are really self-conscious about what they write and their whole time they're writing the story, they're thinking, what are the readers going to think? What's my now? It's like what are the, what's what? 
what's Instagram, what's, Twi what's Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. Um, what are the people going to say? Because they can get to you really quickly now. Um, you can't do that. You have to write what you believe, what you think, um, and let the chips fall where they may. And that was a great lesson I learned from David. And the other thing David told me while I was going through this was, don't worry about losing a source. You know, if you if you criticize a coach and he says, I'm not just going to talk to you for a week or I'm not going to talk to you ever again, don't worry about it. If you're a good reporter, you'll have 20 other sources that will give you better, even better information than the coach would. And I had guys like uh, Portland Trailblazers had a guy, Maurice Lucas, tough guy, enforcer. Um, we became really good friends uh, after he after he retired. He, he played for the Sox for a little while. And um, he, every once in a while, he would stop talking to me and he would say something. I mean, he had hands like catcher's mitts and he would clench his fist and he would say to me, if you don't get off my case, I'm going to give you one of these. And he wouldn't talk to me for, you know, two or three weeks. And then he would, before a game, he would call me over and he would say, this has to stop. I said, what are you talking about? I never started anything. But um, he, he always came around and he always kind of, in the end, looking back, he um, he respected the fact that I wasn't afraid of him. Although sounds, if he punched me, I'd have been scared to death. It sounds like marriage a little bit. Sometimes he, <laughs> your wife won't talk to you, and then three weeks later she does. I'm kidding. Well, um, it's all it's it is all about relationship building. That's for sure. So honesty is, would you say number one? Is there a two and three about you? Um. Well, I think my. I mean, I, I don't know. I think my best attributes and what I try to teach now. Uh, one was uh, organization. I, I can organize a story pretty well. And uh, in the course of researching the story, I'm always thinking like, okay, that's a good lead. Okay, I got to put this in the body. Um, oh, this is a great way I can, can, can uh, write the conclusion. So I, I think I was good organizer. Um, a couple of my editors thought that I over simulated and over metaphored. Um, but then I, some of the, the writers that I like the best are uh, people who choose a lot of metaphors and similes. So, and I probably, there probably is a, a, a common ground there, but, and I'm sure I did go over the top a few times, but um, that would be the other thing. I think I was able to uh, describe things pretty well. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting. I like that because I do that in my world where I articulate to the common folk. Like I try to explain things that maybe some don't really truly understand. I think the skill set of being able to break it down to grandma, to a 10-year-old, I mean, your audience is vast and wide, right? It's not just, you know, one demographic. So I think that's a great skill. Is there a... a it, it, like you've seen people come in, you've seen people maybe not be successful and exit. Are there reasons why certain individuals may not be cut out for being a, a writer? Or would it, would that question be, I guess, does is like sports writing totally different than writing for cooking or politics? Or is there a similarity or a consistency with them all? They're totally the same, I think. The only difference is politicians will always talk to you. Even if they hate you, they know they have to talk to you. Um, so that might be the one difference between sports writers and, and city side, but um, they're the same. And um, I went, uh, the, I had a friend who invited me 
to be part of a group from uh, Save the Children who went to Kosovo during the war. And I went with them and I wrote a long story for the Seattle Times about my experience and hung out with a couple of the writers who were there. Um, and believe me, they were dodging bullets while I was eating a piece of margaritas. So, I mean, they were, they were really in the skirmish. Um, but when we talked about doing the two different jobs, um, they always said, um, it's the same thing. You get sources, you dig, you, uh, you're not afraid, like in their cases, they weren't afraid of a general or a secretary of state or, uh, uh, an enemy, uh, threatening them because that, that was part of their job. But in, in answering your other question, I think people get out of it. Number one, because there's not a whole lot of money unless you really are at the top of your game. And it's it's a for the people who stay in it, it's a labor of love. Like when I worked in at the Daily Chronicle in Centralia, I was making 550 bucks a month. Now this was like 73, so it wasn't it was a little more money than it is today. But I was making I, I was living above a garage in somebody's uh, um connected to somebody's house um and it's tough and you're working long hours and um you're covering things like i covered library board meetings and sewer district meetings and oh i'm 25 years old i want to go out you know i want to i want to party and i'm listening to why my sewer's backed up and we gotta you know come on <laughs> so you paid so your dues yeah yeah and sometimes the dues paying gets to be too much um the other thing for me is i couldn't do anything else i don't know what in the world i would do i was a lousy repairman i wasn't a very good forklift driver and i thought the only thing i was going to succeed in was being a sports writer well you did well at that um talk to me a little bit about i'm curious you know some people have nine to five jobs they go to an office they plug in they plug out like as a writer you know i guess i'm curious what you know your monday mornings like your thursday night your sunday like is it a 24 7 kind of gig like uh, you know are you are you in your office trying to come up with content writing most of the time are you out and about like what would a week or a month look like um for you when you were a sports writer and my dad used to ask me that all the time like what's what's a typical day for you and i would tell him i don't have a typical day i mean every day is different but part of our job is always you are working 24 hours a day. Your brain's working 24 hours a day. Um, I mean, I was so annoyed when I would wake up at night with an idea and, oh man, I got to get up, write this down and I can't forget it. But yeah, I'm, I'm kicking stuff around all the time and um, uh, second guessing myself after the stories appeared. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's, it's on your mind all the time. And I think it's, um, I think it affects marriages in a lot of cases. Um, fortunately, my wife is a big sports fan and a big newspaper fan, so I, she understood what I, what I was going through. But um, you know, you can be distracted. You can miss your your if you're traveling as a beat reporter. You can miss your your son daughter's game, son and daughter's uh, recital. Um, it can it can eat up a family life. So when you were a sports writer with the Times, for example, uh, was it like 
what's it like? Do you say, do you go to a specific person? I don't know what that job title would be, an editor, and say, hey, I'd like to uh, write about John Olerud, uh, you know, and his story of how he overcame serious brain injury in college. Or, I mean, what's the, what's the process or protocol from beginning to end when you want to come up with a story? Are you being told what to write about or are you bringing it up like on Monday morning in a meeting? A little bit of both. Um, uh, well, actually a lot of one and not much of the other, to be honest with you. I came up with most of my ideas and, um, you know, they didn't like them all. They told me, no, you're, you, you know, that's not a good idea. The one great thing about working at the Seattle Times is no one ever told me to back off on something. Um, so I always had their support that way. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I mean, I would have 50 ideas. And, and I, I don't think that's being unique. I think everybody in this business has 50 ideas because you have to, because I wrote four columns a week. And if I was working, if I was going to write for my Wednesday column and I wake up Tuesday morning and I don't have an idea, I'm in trouble. Um, and, and obviously some of them are, are I would say, more than 50% of my columns came to me. You know, it was just like, I have to write about this. I have to write about this game. I have to write about this trade. I have to write about this guy who got arrested. Um, have to write about someone who's dying. Um, there's just some, a lot of stories are presented to you, but there are also those days where it's like, man, what am I gonna write about? And it's gotta be interesting. You know, you just can't, you just can't suck your thumb and hope that, uh, that the readers like it. So, I mean, it's, it's a, I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. But it's a hard job. And um, Larry Stone, who, uh, is one, who actually followed in my footsteps, is retiring this week. And I, I told him that, you know, that first week that you're not working anymore, you're still you're still working. You're, it's, your brain is still working. But after that, there's like, there's just this relaxing feeling that those voices in my head are gone. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I do want to get into kind of post post life uh, of writing, but like getting back to the four columns a week. So would you be ever like simultaneously writing four articles at once? And, or would you like say, listen, I need three days, bef you know, a two days per column. I mean, like what would be how would that work with four? Like, I'm sure you had a Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. I mean, I don't know what the days were, but Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, Sunday. Okay. So then would you just focus on one article at, at one time and then move on to the next? It would depend. Um, if there was breaking news, obviously I'd write about that. If I was doing a feature and there was breaking news that happened on the day that maybe I was going to write the feature, then obviously I put the, the feature away for a week or a day or whatever and work on the breaking news. Um, so it, it varies. That's, that's the thing. It's hard to describe the job because it's so different all the time. And I might interview somebody like, say, Nate McMillan on a Monday, a former Sonic coach, player, great, great human being. I would uh, interview him on a Monday thinking I was going to write it for Wednesday and ended up writing it for Sunday or something like that. Um, again, it, it depends on what stories come to you and what stories you want to do. Um, the, you're talking about uh, debates with the editors. Sometimes um, I, I would have a story that I like so much 
that they would say, well, we need you to write about this today. And I said, no, I've really been working on this story for weeks. I love it. The, the, this person I met is the, the story will write itself. And um, I'd rather do that than the breaking news, which in my mind on this particular day is not going is not earth shaking. So, I mean, you know, there was a give and take and believe me, I think if you asked every uh, sports editor at the Seattle times, if I was a joy to work with, they would say, absolutely not. He was a pain in the neck and it, we fought all the time. Um, but um, we're glad this is what I would hope they would say, but we were glad we had him. So what would they, I mean, was it a matter of which, what content to, to write it? Like, why were you a pain in the butt? Like, I don't understand. Like, what was, what, I mean, what was so difficult about working with Steve? Um, it's just that my ideas didn't always jive with theirs. Uh, and even my idea about how I would write a story didn't, didn't dovetail with theirs at all. Um, little things like that, that, um, I guess my ego didn't uh, accept very well when I was taught. I, I was really critical of myself. I was probably um, not accepting of criticism from my editors very well. And I would fight them on it all the time. And um, um, it's, a, it's a character flaw, I guess, but it's there. No, I, re I mean, back in the day, so my cousin played football for the Huskies in 92, 91. He was a center. And it was right around the Billy Joe era. And I remember that was a big article in the Times. Oh, man. Were you involved with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that whole time was so crazy. Um, all of a sudden, for the first time that I can remember, the UW football program was kind of swallowed, swallowed up by criticism and by um, investigation and um, just the, the sainted Husky program was in trouble. And I kind of liked Billy Joe. And um, I didn't quite get why he took all the heat. Yeah. But he did. Um, a lot of it, I, I have to admit, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but I just remember it was a difficult time. I wrote some critical things about what you dub that I think people held against me the rest of my career. And I still believe I wrote the right thing. It, it was so funny, I guess, in hindsight, when Don James left the team about a week or two before the opener against Stanford, I wrote that Don James was a quitter. I mean, that's, that, that's the dog father I'm writing about. And um, our other columnist wrote, we should name the stadium after him. So we had these two absolutely opposite uh, ideas juxtaposed on the front page of sports. And, you know, guess who the bad guy was? Uh, me. <laughs> and um, like I say, I like to be liked. And uh, people came down on me pretty hard. Well, yeah, Don didn't like me either. Because when I was, I grew up in the neighborhood and I asked him, I knocked on his door and I, I was friends with his daughter, Jenny. And I asked him if I could jump on his trampoline and he said, no, but I did anyway. <laughs> and as I got, as I got higher on the trampoline, I could see him in his office uh, like, oh, no. and I went eye to eye with him. And he got up 
And I, I, I think I, I ran a four or five that day. I was, I was so scared of the dog father, but, um, <laughs> but like, I'm not trying to get too deep on like, but what I'm curious on is just the politics, like in a newspaper. So you had one version, another writer had another, like, do you feel like you have the freedom to like, if it was modern day and you wanted to say something negative about big pharma or vaccines, my guess is you might not be able to do that. Um, but back then, was it different that you had the ability to say what you want and typically the times would not block you? I never had a problem okay. with them telling me what to write or how to write it. They may not have liked the way I wrote it, but they liked the tone of how I wrote it. Um, yeah, I, they they encouraged me. They didn't, you know, the criticism of me that I always hated was, um, you're just trying to sell newspapers. Mm. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, first of all, if you were writing negative, 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 people are going to turn you off pretty quickly, I think. So they're not going to buy the paper to see what your, you know, what your next negative column is going to be. Um, so I never really understood that criticism. Um, but in, in terms of how, I mean, I, I, that, that's probably my favorite, uh, looking back on it, my favorite aspect of the Seattle Times is that they either had enough trust in me or they wanted me to get in trouble. I don't know, but they let me write the way I wanted to write. Uh, and they trusted my opinion on it. I and like we might've had a few dust ups along the way, but not very many. What about like as a writer, let's just say, you know, you people naturally gravitate towards what they're enthusiastic about. Like, I love football. I played baseball, but I don't I, I'd rather watch football, college football. But like, what about you? Like, OK, hey, Steve, we want you to write about um, soccer or a sport that you weren't really into or hockey that maybe like, I don't know anything about hockey. Um, like, was that an issue like? Or did you have to be fair to all sports like and you're probably not proficient in all sports because you're generally not enthusiastic about each one in the same way how did was that ever an issue i'm lucky because i love sports and i love soccer and i i when the sounders came here i learned it and again it was one of those things where i spent a lot of time with the players and the coaches and was edu was educated by them um so i loved soccer um, basketball is my game. I mean, that's what I played. I'm coaching it now. Um, I love it. I could watch, I still don't know what my threshold is. I could watch eight games a day and the eighth game would interest me as much as the first game. I mean, I, I love it. Um, it's, I don't think it's easy to write necessarily because it's so fast moving and the deadlines are late and, uh, you know, it's hard to crystallize everything in 45 minutes or less, but, um, love that love baseball um i don't know football as well as i i as the other sports but again i mike holmgren was a great teacher um uh chuck knox was a great teacher uh because they spent the time with me um my all-time favorite teacher who i covered was jack ramsey who was the coach of the portland trailblazers and he was a he was um he was a teacher and he'd love to talk basketball. And we we did X's and O's and all of that stuff in his office. And because uh, he wanted me to understand what he was trying to do so that, you know, if I said, you know, 
why did they run this play in that particular part, time of the game? I would know why they did it. So I couldn't criticize him for it because I knew what he was thinking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always like, um, teach me, you know, what am I missing out on? Steve Largent was great at that. He would call me up on Monday about my my Monday column on the Sunday game and say, look, you really, you missed it. <laughs> You're, I can't, there was one ex specific example about a, a fourth, a fourth down call. I don't remember the game or anything else, but I remember he called me very polite, um, very um, tutorially uh, explaining to me why I screwed up. I like that. I love uh, Steve. I, didn't, I wish he had done it before I wrote the column, but mm -hmm. um, I like the guy who taught me a lesson. So you didn't have an issue. I mean, you whatever sport you were, you were behind. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, uh, thank God I didn't have to write about MMA. Oh. Um, or I, I like boxing a lot. I mean, I, I covered a lot of the big fights, the the Tyson fights, all the Leonard Hearns, Leonard Hagler, Leonard, um, uh, uh, Roberto Duran. I, I got to cover them. And there's nothing quite, I mean, I felt dirty being so excited about round one. You know, there's like a feeling in, round one of a big uh, championship fight that I'd never felt anywhere else in any sport covering it. But um, yeah, I, I would say MMA, um, college wrestling, I don't, I know nothing about, but we didn't really have any out here. Um, but the other ones, tennis, love writing about tennis, golf, tennis and golf are both great golf, especially because you can write about the players. You can write about the course. There's drama that builds and you know the final day of a of a golf tournament uh, is a it's like Christmas for a sports writer. Yeah. By the way, I love back in the day. Frank had some good seats, and thankfully his his real sons are at Wazoo away, so I got to sit courtside, uh, you know, for <laughs> uh, for many years. And sometimes my mom and Frank wouldn't be there, and I'd take my buddies, and we were the poorest guys down there, but. I remember just the uh, interactions, you know, we'd have a couple beers and start talking, you know, in a polite way, but, you know, I remember like Nick Van Exel or Carl Malone, and there was always a player on the team that would kind of give it back. And those were yeah. good, good memories for sure. Um, I do hope we get a team back. I, I, I think for me, when the Sonics left, my interest level kind of died. Um, I also, I'm curious, since you're such a basketball fan, I felt like when they expanded the league with all these new teams, a lot of the talent was diluted. Like back in the day when, you know, you had the Sixers and the Lakers and you had four, maybe five really good players. And now you get like maybe one or two. Um, do you agree or do, do you feel like the expansion has, I know it's profitable, but in my mind, it almost feels like it's ruined the game a little bit. I, I no, I don't think that at all. I okay. think maybe in the first couple of years when they, you know, when the Timberwolves and the, the original Charlotte Hornets and, and uh, when the league expanded, then yeah, it, for a year or two, it was diluted. There's so many good players at every level. I mean, in Seattle high school basketball, there are 50, 60 kids who are just really good, really dedicated, hardworking basketball players. 
Um, you know, they just don't, they just don't go to practice the first day, November 10th, when, when you can start practicing, they practice all year round every day. They let them have their own personal coaches. Um, I mean, they're, they're into it and there's more quality. There are more quality athletes than ever. The NBA, I think is better than ever, um, in talent wise. Um, I don't know how Jack Ramsey would feel about that because they don't run a lot of, a lot of back cuts and, and things that he liked. Um, it's more freelance and, uh, you know, high pick and roll. Everybody spreads out. Um, fast break, you stop, you stop at the three-point line and hoist. I mean, you know, if I had done that or if any college player had done that in the 60s and 70s and 80s, they're out of the, they're, they're sitting. Now yeah. it's part, analytics tell you it's, it's all threes or layups. There's no mid-range uh, jump shots now. Did you ever read that book? Uh, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting the authors. He, he passed away, but same guy wrote Great Santini and Prince of Tides. Um, I believe he, he wrote a book when he played college ball at West Point. The Citadel. Yeah. Did you read that? Yeah, yeah. I've, I read, I've read all of his stuff. Uh, Pat, Pat Conroy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that book was really interesting. It's funny. Um, I had the, my fellow point guard in high school, a guy named Joe Dunning, went to NC State. And they played Citadel every year. And he played Pat Conroy and he read the book and he said, well, he wasn't quite that good. And the coach wasn't quite that bad. And, and, you know, we beat him by 40 points every year. But um, I mean, I love that book because it really kind of gave you an idea of what it was like to play for a tough coach and, uh, you know, to persevere through some rough times. Yeah. I really like that book too. I love that author. Um, not to ask you like personally about what you make, but like compensation. So if somebody's interested in being a sports writer, for example, working for a newspaper or a publication, is it a salary job or are there, are there bonus commission based off of your viewership? Like, I'm curious what that world is like, because people I think need to understand how they're going to get paid. <laughs> well, the Seattle times wasn't, uh, you didn't work at the Seattle Times because you were getting paid well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I made a good living. Trust me. Um, I'm very happy with where I am now. Um, got a great pension. Um, so, but you know, it's like every business. There, there's layers to it, and um, um, it, you better not get into this business because you think you can be um, Adrian Wojnarowski at the at ESPN, <clears throat> excuse me, and make twelve million dollars a year. Um, there's very few of those jobs. And um, I did a little bit of work for ESPN. And I know that once you're there, once you're involved in it, you better not say no when they tell you they want uh, they want you on. So, um, you know, I didn't ended up not doing much work there. But um, it, it, it's a labor of love. And um, the higher you get, the more money you make. But, um, you know, I think if you asked everybody who's working at the Seattle Times now, I think they have a really good sports uh, department right now. But if you asked any of them, would you like to be making more money? Do you think you should be making more money? They would say yes. Um, is 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 your salary going to keep you from uh, staying in the business? They would say no. Love. We love what we're doing. Yeah. And it shows in the writing, I think. 
So it's typically a salary job versus we'll pay you per column. No, yeah, nobody paid me for per column. Oh, that that would have been interesting if they had it on a sliding scale. Where uh, we like the column today, we'll give you thousand dollars. This column, this is about a two two dollars and fifty cent column. Um, no, I had a I had a salary. I just wonder if, like, with technology and AI or whatever, someday, especially online, they'll be able to say, "Okay, we had this much viewership on Steve's." I don't know. Maybe there's a bonus structure in the future for writers. Well, is, um, the, the business now is no. way more involved with clicks. Hmm. And I hate that. And it's one of the reasons I got out of it. I, you know, it's like you can write a great column that um, that's well written and well researched, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't create buzz. They're not talking about it on KJR or, or uh, sports radio. Um, and people, so so therefore, people aren't clicking onto it. And you know, I could write. I, I, my joke always was that I could write a column about Ichiro, and all I would say in the column was Ichiro, 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 for eighteen inches. And people would say, "Oh, that's great!" Is that he's writing about Ichiro today? And it click, 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 click. I mean, I I never. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I never wrote for the reader. I hope that they liked it. Um, but I wrote for what I thought was interesting. And I think now it's a lot of more, a lot more writers are writing for the reader so they can get the clicks. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I remember Ichiro, whenever I hear Ichiro's name, I always think of like a cat, like the way he stretches, like Frank had really good seats in baseball too. And he'd be there and yeah. I've never seen a guy stretch so much, uh, a professional athlete, like he would, and he could bend like, the best of them but that that guy was very amazing i mean that that the days of a-rod and uh griffey and and uh edgar and buner and i mean that, those were fun days to be a mariner fan for sure um one of the questions i ask and, and not to get negative on the career but and and, and before you answer i'm gonna throw out what i th think could be the answer but you know not every job's perfect. There's good and bad. So one of the things I want to say is like, what caught you by surprise or what don't you like or didn't you like about being a sports writer? And I remember doing a little research on you. I think there were some articles about how you wish the comments uh, would be eliminated. And then you mentioned in this podcast how you just, you didn't like how, I think maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but maybe you didn't like the feedback uh, of people and what they thought about your article, I guess. No, no. I mean, I didn't mind the feedback. Well, I, I mean, it got to be really bad. But yeah. I mean, the level of discourse went into the gutter as time went on. I mean, you know, in the old days, you had to write a letter. You know, you had to, you had to sit down, write a letter, put a stamp on it, think about it a little more. Now it's like they're writing while they're reading the article, and they're, you know, they have the safety of being in their living room or their their study. They don't have to face. Um, they don't have to face the music like I had to face the music, and I I, I hate that. Um, and you know, I've had incidents where people have, have uh, accosted me. I've had uh, incidents where of death threats. Um, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I've had it all, I, um, and I could tell you a bunch of stories, which I won't. But um, yeah. Uh, one thing I loved writing, I loved the fact that people read what I wrote. 
but I hated being a public figure. And I hated about, um, you know, just whispers as I, as I, you know, walked to my seat on press row at a Sonic game. Uh, by the same token, I love it when people come up to me and tell me they like what I'm doing. Uh, so it's it's a mixed bag, but it's just gotten more hateful. And you know, you you see that now uh, with the out the, uh, the the Hamas Israeli situation. You've seen it. You see it in all kinds of political arguments. Um, just really ugly, ugly stuff. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people have an audience. Where, where back in the day they didn't have that audience. And uh, people and they think it's easy. They think it's easy to just sit down and rip somebody and then, you know, go out to dinner or, whatever, you know, go to the bar and tell you guys, hey, I told that guy off today. Yeah. Who cares? No, I don't think what you do is easy at all. I did a sports challenge on Cairo once with Steve Rabel. It was Wayne Cody sports challenge. And I <laughs> and I thought, you know, I can talk. I love sports, whatever. I got on camera and I was reading a teleprompter and Steve was right next to me and. I was so bad at it and it looks so, and I had a friend of mine, Matt Lorch on recently on a podcast and I think he's really, I know Matt well, Matt's a great guy. Yeah. Matt, Matt was really, I grew up with Matt and uh, he was a little younger than me, but he makes it look so easy and you're right. It's not easy. And I don't know what it's like um, to be a writer because you know, you've got the deadline, you've got the emotions, the relationships. There's a lot of things that you have to think about that, some dude in his leather chair who's pissed because his team lost or his favorite player or whatever, they don't have to think about. Um, so would you say the hardest part about your job is, what would you say? Would it be that or would it be something different about being a sports writer? Well, I think everything is hard about the job. Um, Maybe not hard. What's the one thing you just, God, I don't like this part of the job. Well, I, I really do think it's, it, well, Forgetting the discourse and forgetting the, the emails and, and the texts and whatnot. Um, to me, it was walking into a, a clubhouse knowing that I was going to have some problems, that somebody was, and I would know who it would be, was going to come up to me and make a scene, uh, hopefully with as many other players watching it to show what he did. Uh, one, one, uh, one story I'll tell you is... Uh, Remember Phil Bradley, who played uh, the outfield for the Mariners, and the last couple of years, especially the last year, he just lost whatever mojo he had. And there was, I remember, there was a ball that got away from him in left field, and what I wrote was he ho hummed his way to the ball to throw it back in. Um, and we had already had a few dust ups in the past, and sun Sunday morning of all times. I walk into the clubhouse and uh, he says, I want to talk to you after the game. And it was kind of like uh, the high school bully telling you, I want to meet you behind the school after, after, after school. And, and um, so I had the whole game to think about that. And, you know, I mean, I knew exactly what he was going to tell me. So he uh, game's over. I go in the clubhouse. He's got a bat, of course. And they had a, a, um, little training room right off the clubhouse uh, right off the, the main clubhouse and he, he invited me in there pulled the blinds down and started smacking <laughs> the, the bat in his hand and um telling me what a you know what he thought of me in general as a human being and um you know i, I just listened and finally after um 
I don't know, 10 minutes, 15. And he was getting really angry and he's smacking the bat. And finally, um, he said, just go ahead, write whatever you want. And I said to him, well, that was the plan. That was my plan. I must, you know, I should have said, that's my plan before you, I came in here. That's my plan as I leave. But the funniest <laughs> thing of all, honest to God, this happened. He opened the door to come out and it was like some Three Stooges movie. Uh, he opened the door to come out and like four players, they were they were leaning against the door and they like almost tumbled into the room. Um, and I think, I think most of them thought that Phil was not right. That wasn't Phil's, Phil shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think but we we did we never got along. The bat in the hand. I think that was maybe over. He stepped over the boundary there. Um, as we wind this down, I I did want to ask you through all the years, and I don't know if the answer is the same, but like I'm curious who your favorite athlete was. And I know you have probably maybe that's hard to answer because you have a lot of relationships still. And maybe like in your opinion, the best athlete that you ever covered. Uh, I don't know if they're the same, but I'm curious. Well, the best, best athlete might be junior, uh, might be, uh, you know, some of the things Sean Kemp did and Sean and Gary Payton did together were pretty incredible. Um, uh, Kurt Warner in his early years was incredible. Largent, you know, everybody thought uh, Largent, he's just kind of a scrappy guy, not very fast. I never saw a cornerback chase him down when he got open. He's very fast, really good athlete. I mean, uh, R Russell Wilson, I only covered him a little bit at the end. Uh, there, there's so many, I can't really, I mean, the, the most spectacular athlete I ever watched was Usain Bolt. And I saw him in the Olympics in, in um, China and I was right at the finish line. And both the 100 meters and the 200 meters, he, he, it was breathtaking. And he broke the, the world record and he celebrated about five steps before the finish line and he still broke the record. And there was just something about him shifting gears. I always thought Michael Johnson was spectacular, especially in the 200 when he would come around the turn and just go to a level that nobody else had. Well, that's that's how I felt about Bolt. It was like, He's got a he's got a gear that no other sprinter has ever had. Um, yeah, I like and, him a lot. In terms of uh, guys, I like. Somebody asked me about the Mariners the other day, and um, I was trying to think about the guys I liked. Dan Wilson, uh, Mike Cameron. I love Mike Cameron. He always called me Stephen. Stephen, uh, what do you what do you have for me today, Stephen? Um, Jamie Moyer, um, uh, Jay Buner. Um, the guys that I didn't always get along with, like Jay, could be prickly from time to time, but uh, I really liked him. Harold Reynolds, I still see Harold a lot and, and really like him. So, I mean, th those were favorites. Nate McMillan was a favorite. Um, like I said, Steve Largent. Kenny Easley was great to me. Uh, he wasn't great to everybody. Um, I mean, there's just so many. Yeah, but um, that was then that's the best part of the business. And I see Dan Wilson all the time now. I see Cameron occasionally. Uh, you know, I see George Carl, Nate, Sean, even through all of Sean's. Sean and I used to do a, a podcast on uh, with the Seattle Times with my son. And we would tell him, uh, OK, the podcast is going to start at 
at 10.30, and he usually showed up about 11.30, which is when we really wanted to start. But if we told him 10.30, and he and I did a, a Taming of the Shrew, just a scene from Taming of the Shrew uh, for the Seattle Shakespeare Company, and he never showed up for any, any of the rehearsals. Uh, he came to the theater about a half hour before he went on, and he killed it. And it was a packed audience, and he killed it. And uh, so he, I, I love him even now. Uh, Gary, a lot of those guys from that team, um, terrific guys. Yeah, I remember when we um, played Golden State in the playoffs and Kemp rising above. And I mean, that was kind of when I think they were taken off. Um, I don't, they didn't make it. To, I don't know if they made it to the finals that year, but they took out a pretty good Golden State team. Um, you know, one question that, I, that you're probably the perfect person to ask for, because I'm very opinionated about sports. And sometimes I feel like the word athlete is thrown out. Like, you know, like, I don't know, honestly, Tom Brady is a great athlete. I mean, I think he's a, an amazing quarterback. But like, when I think of an athlete, I think of someone like Bo Jackson or Dion or someone that can like pick up a sport, you know, who's never played it and just be coordinated and, and good, you know, run and, and look like they know what they're doing. Is there a better word than athlete? Because I wouldn't say Tom Brady's one of the greatest athletes of all time. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks, but am I the only one who thinks like that? Or is there, is there a different word that you would use? Well, so, so much of, of uh, being a good athlete is based on 40 times uh, vertical leap, um there's so much more to it yeah there's uh the, the quality of your hands if you're a receiver if you're uh, a basketball player it's your footwork it's so so tom brady was a great athlete you know he wasn't he wasn't just the fastest guy um i think your intelligence is a part of it and um you know the quarterbacks you know I, I don't know how they do it it's, they have so much stuff in their head and they have right before the snap, they're looking at where the where the cornerbacks are, where the rush is coming from, and they're calling a play while they're doing while they're looking at that. I think it's an amazing intelligence that it takes to to do that. Um, it, and the great thing for me about sports and covering it is I've never lost my appreciation for what they can do. Um, and you know, um, big lumbering hitters. Uh, they have great hand-eye coordination. They have strength. They can't they can't beat out a, a bun necessarily, but they're good. They're great athletes. Every I think every body who plays a professional sport is a great athlete because the percentages are against you, and you have to climb mountain after mountain after mountain to get just to get a spot on the roster. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's guys who are faster. There's there's the elite athlete, certainly, but everybody in a major sport is an athlete, is an incredible athlete. Yeah, no, I, I have big respect for Tom. I just thought, you know, if I was drafting a quarterback, I would want someone who's accurate, who's tall enough to see over the line and someone smart enough to read defenses and be able to, to me, those are the top three. Um, but I, I maybe I need a new word. I don't know. Um, so... I always ask advice. So as we end this and there's somebody that's listening and they just love maybe it's sports or food or travel or, and they love to write, they love to create. And then I don't know all the things that go with writing. Is there any advice that you would give to somebody that might be in journalism school 
you know, in this era um, that's looking at following in your footsteps, um, what would you say to them? Well, you know, coaches always talk about big games and they say, you're always going to face adversity at points in this game. And the mark of how you, who you are will be determined by how you react to the adversity. And I think that's true in any business, any field of business. And I think my, my main um, piece of advice for everybody who's really direly hoping to be, I don't know if direly is a word, but really passionately wants to be a sports writer or a journalist in general is don't get discouraged because you're going to face adversity. You're going to get turned down for jobs. I mean, I worked at the York Dispatch in York, Pennsylvania, my first year. I worked there a year. Uh, I was It was pretty clear to me that if I had stayed there, I was going to work there the rest of my life. So I quit, went back. I was a repairman for Sears not exactly on the career path that I wanted to be on. Um, I read a poem um, about Lake Chelan that William Stafford wrote. And I I got really into it, looked looked at uh, the map, looked at pictures, read stories about Lake Chelan, and I decided that's where I was going to go. So I wrote letters to every newspaper in the Northwest, got rejection letters from every paper in the Northwest. I still thought I was so damn good that when I crossed the, the Idaho-Washington border, every sports writer was sports uh, editor was going to flag me down and say, hey, come to see us. And, and of course, uh, instead, I was driving a forklift uh, for an apple shed in Cheyenne. That's, and I don't know where I'm going from there. Uh, my days off, I would knock on doors at the Wenatchee World, the Tri-Cities Herald. I finally got a job interview at the Longview Daily News drove from Chelan, this was in December, I think. So I drove from Chelan to Longview, had to chain up, take the chains off, chain up, take the chains off, got to Longview, and the guy that was going to interview interview me wasn't there. He stiffed me. He didn't show up. And that was the, that was the lowest point possible. So on my drive back up uh, I-5, I was thinking, I got to salvage something from this trip. And again, this is this is how you face adversity. And so I got a room at the in Seattle. Next morning, I went to the Seattle Times, walked in. You can't do this anymore. Walked in, walked up to the managing editor's office, Jim King, who uh, my savior, knocked on the door. Jim invited me in. I'm a, I'm a forklift driver. Jim invited me in, and uh, we talked for an hour. And I told him about my experience recently going to Longview and also my experience in general. And we just hit it off. And he said to me, look, I can't give you a job at the Seattle Times. You don't have any ex enough experience, but I promise you'll have a job in about a month. So I went back to Chelan and I'm driving the forklift and the foreman comes down and he says, you got this phone call from the editor of the Daily Chronicle. And they all knew that's what I wanted to do. So they're like, get out of here. So I called the guy and like two weeks later, I was working at the Daily Chronicle happy as could be making 550 a month and you know doing awful stuff uh and also doing fun stuff on my on my days off i would go to a, a trailblazer game or a sonic game the mariners and the seahawks weren't here yet and i would watch how the the pros the real pros were doing their work and got a job in olympia got a job at uh 
the Oregonian, and then finally got a job at the Seattle Times. And my dream, when I finally decided I wanted to live in the Northwest, which was about the second day I was here, um, I my goal was to become the sports columnist at the Seattle Times. So, um, and I got knocked down a lot. We all do. Everybody does. And uh, so it's a, a matter of how you uh, react to the ad adversity. Well, I'm glad you stuck with it. Because I've enjoyed reading you your columns over the years. Well, I appreciate um, that. As you, in your next chapter of your life, well, actually, no, maybe a different way to ask this is, let's just take writing off the table. Is there a dream job? Like, if you weren't a, a sports writer, is there another career that, like, if you could have done anything? Sometimes the response is, I am doing, I did what I wanted to do. But is there something else that you would love to do? Well, I did what I wanted to do, obviously, yeah. but um, um, if I hadn't have done that, like I said, there's not much else I could do. <laughs> so um, I would have been a coach and a teacher. I would have, you know, and I would have tried to go as far as I could as a coach, you know, wherever that would take me. And so now, 10 years into retirement, I'm a coach and a teacher, um, volunteer to teach fourth graders and teaching some other programs. and. Um, volunteer coach um i'm learning that i may not have been a very good coach i may not have gotten far if i had chosen that career but um you know there's something about being around kids and being in the gym that's uh that's you know indescribably beautiful yeah yeah i coached my son he's a sophomore in high school and then that ended in high school but and my daughter i coached her sports um it's some of my best memories ever just watching these kids light up playing sports, you know, it's really life is what it's all about. I I've learned so much in sports that, you know, I, I use in my world today, but, um, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Um, you feel pretty complete or is there anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I think I've just, a, I, I have a very little voice left. So I think we better call it quits now. And I appreciate you inviting me on there. Yeah, it was an honor to meet you. And I think there's a lot of folks that will really love what you said. So thanks again. Thanks. You bet. Thanks.